Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 373 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday afternoon, December 28th, 2021. You thought that we were going to be back uh, maybe later this week to recap a basketball game that Duke was going to play, but as you probably know, if you're listening to this, uh, Duke is not playing a basketball game on Wednesday, so we're coming back earlier to talk about what happened and what might be going on going forward. There's also uh, a, a new ESPN Bracketology prediction that is out, so we can talk a bit more about the ACC and, and the rest of how the current bracket stacks up, at least according to Joe Lunardi. But before we get to all of that, I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I'm coming to you from my home in Boston. I am joined, as always, by Donald Wine and Jason Evans. Jason, sir, how are you today? Uh, yeah, wow. I was really hoping we were going to be talking about Clemson. <laughs> we did that. It was it's kind of funny. We did that whole Clemson preview podcast, and, and I hope folks still listened at least to the second half of that podcast where we talked about Dukies in the NBA. Like, especially like I was talking about Cam Reddish. He's exploded the past couple of games. <laughs> so we were uh, we were right on time with that stuff. But literally within hours, I think of us recording the Clemson podcast, word came down that there was going to be no game against Clemson. Oh, well, <laughs> you could have you could have listened to it in that very short span between when we released it and, and when the right. news came out. <laughs> Although I think that the Twitter rumors were basically starting like right after we we posted the episode. Donald Wine is also here. Donald, how are you doing this week, sir? I'm doing fine. Uh, back in D.C., had a nice couple of days down in Texas, uh, but now I'm back in D.C. It's weird. It's that tweener like type of weather where it feels like it's really warm, but it's still in the like forties today. It actually got up to 60 uh, and then tomorrow is going to be 30. So uh, I'm not sure what, what old man winter or old lady winter is doing right now, but bring me the snow. I, I don't, I don't want this 60 degree December weather. Give me the snow. That's what we're here for. That's what winter's about. So <laughs> I, I, I hear that. I want to talk for a few minutes. The reason that we, that we mainly that we came on today is to talk about the dramatic effect that COVID has had on Duke program and on college basketball. We don't need to dwell too much on the litany of games and programs that have been temporarily shut down because of too much virus exposure. But I did want us to update about what's going on at Duke, maybe speculate a little bit about how much of the schedule is going to get hurt and then potentially recovered um, because of COVID. So as of right now, it's Tuesday afternoon. Yesterday, Monday, Duke announced that there were there were rumors flying around that Duke may not be able to play its game against Clemson. Yesterday, the men's basketball program made that official. So they've, they've put off the Clemson game. Uh, it has not been rescheduled. It has been it has been just sort of temporarily, or it's been suspended. Um, they're not saying that they won't play it, but they're not saying not, that they will not play canceled, it. suspended. Yeah, that's right. a key difference. Um, it it so there are holes in the ACC schedule and Duke's and Clemson's schedule that may allow the teams to make this game up. But as of now, it's it's off the schedule. As are many ACC games uh, throughout the conference this week. Some are still going on, but a lot of programs in the ACC and around the country are being hit by. Uh, uh, the new spike in COVID cases that's going on, obviously not just on college campuses, but but across the country. Duke has said that the Notre Dame game, or Duke has not indicated yet 
that the Notre Dame game on Saturday, Duke is, is supposed to be uh, hosting Notre Dame on Saturday. Uh, no word that that game is, is on or off yet. Uh, the Twitter rumors that were going around when the, when the announcement first came that Clemson was going to be canceled talked about how, oh, well, the Notre Dame game is probably also out given the timing of, of COVID restrictions. But subsequently, the CDC and then the NCAA and the ACC followed with updated guidance about uh, restrictions regarding you know, uh, isolation post-positive COVID test. Previously, it was 10 days. Now, the recommendation is just five days post a positive test when folks can get back out into society again, which has impacts on on all kinds of institutions, but specifically on the college basketball schedule. The 10-day waiting period can encompass maybe three, even four games, depending on exactly when the tests are coming back. Now, with a five-day break, you're only looking at one or two uh, game periods in there. And specifically to Duke, the reduction from 10 to five games means that uh, Duke may still be able to play the Notre Dame game uh, with a with uh, limited player participation. We don't know yet exactly which players may have to sit out a game on Saturday, but that is the current state of things. So, Jason Evans, I want to toss to you first. Uh, what do you make of of all these uh, all these changes that have gone on recently, and, and how do you think it's going to affect uh, Duke and ACC basketball? I've got a few different thoughts on all this. The first one is, hey. Good thing this happened right now. I would much rather miss games today and then have the Duke team be, you know, clear and healthy for a few months. Um, in fact, a friend of mine, I was talking to a friend of mine, a fellow Duke fan friend, and he said, hey, why don't we put the whole damn team in a room together and make sure everybody gets COVID at the same time? Just get it over with. And then he, and he's like, and then in two weeks, we'll be, uh, we'll be all set and these guys will be clear all the way through April. This is the chicken pox approach, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and there's some merit to that because uh, even though it appears a previous infection won't necessarily help you fend off Omicron, uh, an Omicron infection, they believe, will keep you clear of Omicron or other COVID for, for several months at least. Um, it's sort of like getting an extra vaccine or extra booster uh, to get the disease. So, so like I say, it's... Uh, uh, th this isn't the worst time in the world for this to have happened. And by the way, it's worth noting that our understanding is that pretty much all the players are asymptomatic, that they don't have um, a bad case of COVID. Uh, everyone on the Duke squad was vaccinated in some way. Um, some of the Duke players apparently got uh, the J&J &J vaccine, um, but most of them got mRNA vaccines. That's Pfizer or Moderna. Um, most of them got it in the summer about six months ago. And lo and behold, around six months in, they say you really need a booster. There was some concern. Uh, I've, I've heard that there was some concern about getting boosters during the season and not wanting players, you know, because sometimes when you get a booster, you get a little bit sick and maybe you're out for a day or two. And so one of the reasons Duke hadn't been boosted yet was that they were like, oh, let's let's sort of wait and and see if we really need these boosters. And And really, folks weren't talking about boosters that much until a couple of weeks ago or so, it just didn't seem like it was a big issue. And then Omicron came washing through. Um, and it's my understanding uh, that everyone on the team was given a booster right after the Virginia tech game that we played Virginia tech. And literally right after that game, because they knew we had the Christmas break, we had a break. It was a good time. If guys are going to get sick from a booster, a little bit sick, you know, to, to give them a booster. And so everybody was boosted right after the Virginia tech game. 
but it was too late at that point. <laughs> the boosters did not come on in time to prevent this outbreak. And the stuff I'm going to talk about next, I want to stress, um, is speculation from a, from a well-informed source. Uh, I'm not sure if, if all of you follow Zion O on Twitter. Uh, his, his Twitter handle is Duke NBA. But this guy is definitely connected to the Duke program. He was one of the first, if not the first person to say, uh-oh, Duke's about to go on a pause. He was the first. I, I, I'll give him credit for that. He literally posted something that said, uh-oh, we were not playing games this week about 18 hours before the news came out. Yeah, um, and, and, and it's worth noting that Zion had some of the best information about the, um, the secret scrimmage that Duke had with Villanova. He was one of the first people, one of the only people to post stats from that. This guy clearly is connected to the program. So I'm going to tell you some of the things that he said about, uh, about this COVID outbreak at Duke. And again, I want to stress, I'm not saying that we know this. This is what someone else um, has said about it. And, and I, think, I think it's worth crediting him and it's worth spreading the information because this is really good info. First of all, he said that Duke was absolutely thinking about playing with only seven players um, and, and that we were thinking about playing even though there were going to be multiple walk-ons in those seven players and that Duke was fully ready to take on Clemson with, you know, two or three perhaps walk-ons um, getting serious minutes. Uh, but then one more test came back and there was one more guy who came back positive. And as a result, we only had six players and that was not enough for Duke to be able to play this game. Duke was not afraid of playing with a dramatically reduced squad, not because we're overconfident, because, but because we, we knew that the NCAA selection committee would not consider a, a COVID game as a real game. If Duke went out there and lost, playing, you know, a couple walk-ons and a couple guys who are deep on the bench and only maybe two or three of our regulars, we knew the NCAA selection committee is not going to hold that against Duke. Um, the other th really interesting thing that Zion O said, he said that Duke believes that Virginia Tech is the one that gave this to Duke, that Virginia Tech was playing with a positive player. Now, his implication was that Virginia Tech knew they're playing with a positive player. I don't know that that's the case. I think that's, that's a pretty tough one to put on a team. My bet is that, that, you know, that doctors and coaches wouldn't do that, but that the, the speculation from Duke is that there was a positive player on Virginia Tech who, in the course of us guarding him, being on the court with him, breathing all over him and him breathing on us, that he passed this on to several players in the Duke team and that that is how it, it, it you know, hit the team so hard so quickly. And by the way, it's worth noting that for the Virginia Tech team is on pause this week they do have a bad case of COVID on their squad and they were supposed to play UNC. They're not going to be playing Carolina this week. Um, so, you know, anyway, uh, that that's kind of the, the stuff that we've gotten on this. Uh, some interesting stories in there. I'm not, I'm not going to vouch for how true they are, but they, they certainly ring like they could be true. Jason, it's interesting. And there are, it, it feels like there are a number of layers to this. I almost want to want to ask you guys uh, to speculate on what the most interesting seven man rotation that Duke could could throw out in a game is but but Donald I want to bring you in here as well uh any other uh sort of speculation that you want to add on top of this or reaction that you have to all the news this week yeah well I mean what Jason provided is a lot of information and I I want to start with the most important thing was the last part that Jason mentioned that there were six players only six players that, that, that could play because the ACC says that if you only if you have seven players and a coach that are healthy no matter who those seven players are 
you must play the game or it is a forfeit. When they changed the policy, all games that were canceled due to COVID were going to be forfeits. At this point now, if you have seven players and a coach that are healthy, you were able to do so. And since we only had six, that made it where we were eligible. We could. Here's the thing. The ACC, even in their guidelines, says if you have six players, you could still take the court, but you don't have to. And that is the point where Duke said, hey, let's make this, you know, let's postpone this game. Let's get our guys back. And by the way, by the way, Donald, really quick, I want to point out if if it is true that Virginia Tech, that a player in Virginia Tech passed this to the Duke team, it would make sense that walk-on, you know, like we heard, that, that walk-ons were the guys who didn't get it. And the guys who were a little bit deeper on the bench were some of the guys who didn't get it because they weren't in the game against Virginia Tech to have caught it from this player. Right, and that, right. If you're, I was going to say, and and that the Duke team, you, you mentioned, Jason, that they all got boosters soon after the game, and then they all went home. Uh, they got they had a few days off for Christmas. I did think it was interesting, actually. You know, they they are college students, and and I don't begrudge them getting to go home for the holidays. I did think it was interesting that Duke released the whole team to to fly home to family for a couple of days to then come right back. It did seem. Uh, it did seem a little precarious given the situation with Omicron right now, but I'm not going to not going to tell them not to. I assume that they're giving them instructions about how to gather safely, et cetera. But to your point, after that game, it's not like the team had any had any activities before everyone went home for break. So if you either you caught it that night for from a Virginia Tech player or from whoever else was maybe in the arena, because, of course, if you're if you're in a in a confined space like that in Cameron Indoor, you're you're running by a lot of other people uh, that are that are going to be close by, be they behind the benches or 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 near the sidelines or something. But if any of them caught it there, they weren't then going to pass it off to anyone else until after the break. So that's uh, that's sort of the interesting dynamic here. I, I I'm totally fine with them releasing the players. I knew they were going to release the players. They did it last year. If you remember, we even postponed or canceled the last two non-conference games we had on our schedule so that the guys could have a mental break and go home. And that was before, or like right as vaccines were coming online. So that was when guys did not have vaccines. This year, they do have vaccines. As you mentioned, they were just, they just got boosted. Everyone, like, it feels like everyone's catching this thing. And it's not due to the holidays. It's not due to Christmas travel. People have been catching this all month here in DC. We had more cases this past weekend than we had the entire year. Sink that in. The entire year, That's we had crazy. less wow. than the number of cases that were positive over the last four days here in D.C. And D.C. has been very, very good about this. So you have to, at some point, you have to trust the players that they're going to take the right actions and make the right decisions. And even in spite of doing that, we still have at least eight players that have COVID. So that that is unfortunate. And I, I don't begrudge the kids for going home and for, and to do for releasing them. Jason, you mentioned that they were vaccinated over the summer, which also makes sense because if you remember, Duke is requiring all students to be vaccinated to, to be on campus. So for them to even arrive on campus, they had to have been fully vaccinated, not just one shot. They had to have both shots before they arrived on campus or received their second shot upon arrival on campus. So these guys, we knew they were vaccinated. Now we know they were, they were, had just been boosted. Now they're going to have some of that the, the antibodies that are able to keep them hopefully healthy the rest of the year. I will mention this. When uh, Duke NBA, when Zion was talking about that, that there wasn't going to be games this week, 
Keep in mind that was before the CDC guidelines came down. That was before the ACC amended its previous protocols with regards to isolation. That is why I think the Notre Dame game was not postponed outright, that there's still hope of that being played because the, the CDC guidelines lower the amount of isolation that is required for asymptomatic players or asymptomatic people. And so those players have a chance of being fully cleared and ready to play on Saturday. It's just a matter of whether we have enough players to do so. You know, and I want to point out one more thing about testing. And this is really important to note because Coach K has been very clear that he wants more testing from the ACC so that they're able to prevent a situation like what happened with potentially happened with Virginia Tech passing this to Duke because uh, it, it is not only possible, but probable that Virginia Tech was not actively testing their team prior to the Duke game. The ACC last year had a testing policy where you had to test players, I think it was like 48 or 24 hours, 36 hours, something like that, before a game. Uh, there's no such policy this year. Uh, the only policy the ACC currently has involves testing of unvaccinated players and uh, those unvaccinated players only get tested either one or three times per week and it sort of depends on how much uh, that how, ma- how many guys are vaccinated on your team if your team is 85 percent vaccinated then the unvaccinated players are only tested once per week so uh, you know w- when we have a variant like we have now that will evade a lot of vaccines you've got to go to a system where there's going to be more testing. And, and Coach K has been really talking about this, and I, I really wonder if at some point the ACC will catch on and require more testing so you can prevent situations like what happened, potentially happened with Duke and Virginia Tech. It's interesting that you mentioned the more testing part because I saw a tweet from Jeff Goodman, a college basketball analyst, on Twitter the other day about programs and whether they tested all of their players when they got back from their Christmas break or not. I thought it was very fascinating. He pulled 125 college basketball programs. So about a third of the college basketball programs in the country and and D one. And he asked whether they tested the entire team when they came back from Christmas break or only certain players that may have been showing symptoms. 73 of those teams did not test the entire team. Only 53 programs said that they were testing everybody. And he mentioned, and he he obviously didn't give specifics on teams, but he mentioned that of those 53, the bulk of those teams that tested everyone are the teams that you're seeing in COVID pauses right now because they tested and they found a lot of asymptomatic players. So I think there's something to be said about this. This is why it's being spread so quickly is that, and we've, this is not new. We've been talking about this since March, 2020. Asymptomatic people can spread this to other people. We are seeing it now in the NFL where where the chief medical officer for the NFL is saying that asymptomatic people don't carry the virus. And I think that's very misleading and very dangerous because it's clear that these guys are getting it. And, And like in the case of Virginia Tech, one player could have spread it to an entire basketball team of his own and the opponent they were facing. And that's unfortunate because it, I, I highly doubt that that person knew that they were that they had it at the time. If, and they wouldn't have known it if they didn't test. This is why we should be doing more testing. And honestly, going back to the, the uh, chicken pox theory, I had chicken pox. Chicken pox sucked. 
but I didn't die from it and I wasn't at risk of dying from it. I'm not trying to find out via the chicken pox theory whether this COVID strain is mild. I, I hear it's mild and I want to stay that way. I want to I keep hearing about it. I, I don't want anyone to have to go through the, the, the isolation because you never know who it'll affect and it's affecting everybody differently. It's a tricky thing. And, and I know that when we were having this conversation last year, I took a pretty tough stance on as restrictive as we want to get with this, we should be because we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. And to your point, Donald, even if things are, are mild now, it still feels like there's, there's sort of no harm to the student athletes or to the college experience to take it a little bit more cautious and, and be careful with not just the players, but the coaches, the people who are in the arenas. Cause if you've been, you know, if you've been to a Duke game or you've been to any other college basketball games, uh, there's lots of people very close to each other. And even if they're all wearing masks and even if they're you know doing all the things that they need to do, they're still going to be standing very close to each other. Um, and, and you might have, you might have mask policies. That does not mean that they are being uh, followed uh, to the letter. So uh, I'm, I'm totally fine with Duke or, or the ACC deciding that they want to be more careful about these sorts of things. And really quickly for me, last point on the coaching staff here at Duke. If you recall last week or the last few games, actually, uh, Nolan Smith has not been on the sidelines because he has been in the COVID protocols. This has not, th- this is not anything to do with this recent outbreak that we have on the team. If by those, you know, the timeline, Nolan Smith is probably emerging from his COVID protocol, so he should be okay. And obviously we, we hope that he is. I, I do want to speculate in the positive, right? And, and not COVID positive, but just in, in the, you know, nicer way of things. If it was Coach K that was one of these people that were COVID positive, we would have known about it. Because last year, if you remember, him being exposed to COVID prompted an announcement. He was out for 10 days, and, and John Shire even managed the team uh, in his absence for a game. So uh, I don't. If pe- I saw people trying to speculate whether Coach K had it. I feel like we would know if it was him. Everyone else is going to be blanketed by the, the, by the policy that Duke has. But if it was Coach K, I, I think we would know about it right now. And I highly suspect that he is not one of them uh, because as you remember, he was one of the first to be vaccinated in the ACC. He was one of the first to be fully vaccinated. And I'm pretty sure he has received the booster well before everyone because he got it so early, uh, got his second shot so early. So uh, I hope everyone that has it, it continues to remain asymptomatic and is okay. But uh, I think when speculation about who on the team has it, there's no point in doing that right now. All right, and, and my final thought, I, speaking of speculation, I've seen some people out there on Twitter, on the DBR forums and elsewhere talking about, oh, the NCAA needs to, to set up a bubble again for the NCAA tournament. You know, the ACC needs to, to try and compress things together and, and, you know, lock these kids down in different places when it comes time for the ACC tournament, stuff like that. I've seen people saying that Duke should go back to, to separating the players from the rest of the student body and putting them back in the hotel and that kind of thing. Let's slow our roll. Uh, if there is one thing that COVID has taught us again and again and again, it's that if you try and predict how it's going to move, how it's going to change, and how we're going to respond to it, the only prediction that's accurate is that you're wrong. <laughs> um, uh, th- it, it was just two or three weeks ago that none of us had heard of Omicron. 
that the concept of a breakthrough case really wasn't something that people even were thinking about very much. And look at how fast things have changed. I, I think trying to say, oh, the NCAA tournament, the ACC tournament in March, we need to take these steps now because of what's happening now for something that's going to happen in March and April. That's a mistake. I think what we should learn about COVID is you need to move. It moves fast. And so you should move slowly and you should follow its lead in figuring out what to do. And I'll be very disappointed if Duke or the ACC or the NCAA takes far reaching long, uh, you know, long time out steps to deal with Omicron because Omicron may be gone into uh, seriously. It may be gone in two or three weeks. There are epidemiologists who say that's a possibility. I think we need to, you deal with the stuff as it happens and don't do anything too drastic about any one situation. It's just in the past week or so that, that all the different conferences have said, Oh, by the way, if you can't play, it's not a forfeit because they recognize the situation changed. And and I, I think we just have to be ready to adapt to whatever comes along. And we shouldn't we shouldn't go too crazy about trying to figure out how we're going to deal with Omicron three months from now. In short, this is a this is a dance, right? It's like swing dancing. Your partner's COVID and COVID happens to be the greatest running back that ever lived who can juke you out in every second. So every time you try to figure out a move, he's four steps ahead. Like this is what it is. And, and everyone just has to. Take care, take care of each other, take care of yourselves and make sure that you're doing the right steps because even, and, and I think at this point, give yourself some grace and that you could still do the right things and still end up with this. And that is, that is a, that's the fact of life. But the idea is to protect yourself, protect the people around you. And hopefully that is enough to make sure that nobody else gets this and the tide starts to stem a little bit. Yeah, we certainly hope that that no one's getting seriously ill here and that our main concern is that is that people stay healthy. The basketball games are are secondary to all of that. All right. We will return, I'm sure, to this conversation at some point because it is inevitable. Basically, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about Joe Lunardi's uh, uh, first bracketology of the season. Now that we've got we've got a couple months of games uh, in the books. And there's, there are results that we can talk about, uh, sort of at, at a broader level. Duke of course is, is expected to have a very high seed in the NCAA tournament, the rest of the ACC, not so much, but we will cover that and a few other items. So stick around. Welcome back. We are going to dive into ESPN and Joe Lunardi's bracketology projection for the 2022 NCAA tournament. Before we get into this, I, I don't want this to come off too much as the DVR podcast fully endorses the, the Joe Lunardi bracketology projection, but we know that it is uh, sort of widely read and, and understood and, and digested. So uh, this is content that, that we can react to. Uh, I think that as a as a general statement, we'd be more aligned to whatever Ken Pomeroy says is, is going to happen. Uh, uh, we, the DBR podcast this week renewed its, uh, its annual Ken Pom membership, which is money well spent. <laughs> all the us. metrics. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we can, so we can get all the fancy numbers and, and relay them back to you, uh, for free because this, because this show is ad supported. Uh, but we do want to talk about, uh, about Lunardi's projections because they are, even if not perfect, 
uh, a good indicator sort of, of where things are going. So uh, that that projection came out this week. The quick highlights, and then I want to turn it over to Donald and Jason for uh, a bit more deep dive. So Duke is currently projected as a as a number one seed in the East region, uh, where they would be playing the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight in Philadelphia, the site of the uh, most famously, I think for Duke fans, the 1992 Kentucky um, uh, Sweet 16 and Elite I was there. Also, also the site of the two. Jason was on date night that game. That's right. Also the site of the 2001 Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, um, which I was in attendance for, at least at least for the Elite Eight. So uh, those are those are fun facts for you. Uh, Duke is joined on the one line by Purdue, Baylor and Gonzaga. I don't think any huge surprises there, given that all four of those teams have been ranked number one at some point this season. And if uh, if this bracket sort of happens the way that Lunardi projects, Duke would be playing Michigan State as the number two seed in that elite eight game, which I'm sure would be all kinds of fun for, uh, for, for the talking heads, us included, uh, to talk about a, an exciting potential, uh, Duke versus Michigan state coach K versus Tom Izzo elite eight game, which we had very recently in 2019. So uh, I, I want to get into sort of whatever is interesting to you about, about this bracket right now, just, just as a, a bit of fun conversation fodder. So Donald, I'll let you go first. What did you find interesting about Lunardi's projections? And feel free to talk about, you know, any of the any any like particular teams, how the ACC looks in here, which is not great. Uh, about where Duke is and what their path might be. What what sparks your interest in this bracket? Yeah, well, let's start with the ACC. In uh, the ACC has four teams in this bracket, according to Joe Lunardi. Uh, Duke obviously being the one seed in the East, uh, also joined in the East by ten seed Virginia Tech. You have UNC as an eighth seed out West. And then in the Midwest play-in game, you have, uh, as an 11th seed, you have Wake Forest. So uh, there's obviously, we've talked about how the ACC is viewed in the eyes of, of the country. And according to this, the ACC is not looked upon favorably uh, by uh, Lenardi or other bracketologists uh, if for, when it comes to the NCAA tournament. But uh, I know we'll talk a little bit about that in a, in a second, but there's a couple of things that I thought was interesting. Uh, when you see this bracket, you see uh, the word AQ next to some of these names, and that means automatic qualifier. That would mean that this team has won their uh, conference tournament and gets that conference's automatic selection into the big dance. It's interesting because Lenardi has a couple of teams on the two line that are not listed as automatic qualifiers, and their automatic qualifiers for that conference is listed by a team that is on uh, a lower seed. So, for example, the Big Ten, which has 10 teams in this, Purdue, which has been one of the best teams in the country so far this season, is not listed as an automatic qualifier. That honor for the Big Ten goes to Michigan State, which is a two seed. So that's interesting to me. There's also one that, uh, that's interesting because Arizona is listed as a two seed in the same bracket as Tennessee. Tennessee is listed as a three. Why do I mention those two teams? Well, Tennessee just beat Arizona last week. So I think it's interesting that not only is Tennessee on a three line underneath Arizona in the same bracket uh, is the real key here. Not necessarily like one's in the East and one's in the Midwest, but they're both in the same region, according to Lenardi, even though Tennessee just beat Arizona. And I know the conference, uh, I'm sorry, the committee likes to look at rematches, but not necessarily in the Sweet 16. They try to look at them in the Elite Eight and beyond. And the final thing, they have UCLA listed as a two seed right now. And again, 
automatic qualifier from the Pac-12 that he has listed is USC, which is in the three. I would probably have Houston or Tennessee on the two line right now. I don't think that UCLA is quite a two seed. They haven't been living up to the expectations that they had by basically making a deep run through the NCAA tournament last year to the, to the final four. But I do think that there are some teams that are kind of out there that are interesting. Again, Houston is one of these teams that I think is very interesting. Tennessee has been playing quite well this year. And I think one of those two teams could make a run where they can leap up to that two line. And I stress all of this to say, all of this can change. Every last bit of this can change. We're talking about this on December 28th because it's something to do. But Joe Lenardi is great about making brackets in the early season that allow for some of this conversation. And, and like I said, the ACC can look at this and say, hey, if they feel disrespected, they should be because the ACC has four teams in this bracket. Some of these teams need to figure out how to make it six or seven. So the easy way for the ACC to, to make it six or seven is for some of the ACC teams that are on the bubble to, to play better than they have been. Um, currently, Joe Lenardi has Clemson and Louisville as the next four out, not the first four out, but the next four out. So, you know, they've got like, they've got like five or six teams. They would have to hurdle Clemson and Louisville would to, to get into the NCAA tournament. And by the way, Wake Forest, as you mentioned, Lunardi has them in, but he has them in the play in game, which means that if there were a couple, you know, conference upsets, upset winners of conferences um, who steal a bid that could potentially have knocked Wake out. The ACC could be looking at only three teams. Um, we've talked about it a lot in this podcast. The ACC, some of these teams are going to need to separate because it's not in the kind of thing where they're going to just take the top six teams in the ACC. This year, if you want to make it, you're going to have to separate from the rest of the pack in the ACC in a pretty significant kind of way. So the, the thing I really looked at that I thought was most interesting was I wanted to look at who Duke could potentially play along the way. Sam mentioned, um, you know, that Michigan State matchup. Uh, uh, you know, with Duke as a one and Michigan State as a two. I, that, that's so far down the road. I really looked at the eight nines and the four fives. Um, uh, Lenardi has Duke getting the winner, the eight nine game of Michigan and Oklahoma. Um, the other eight nines, just so folks know, you know, the other teams that he thinks, you know, a one seed might play are BYU, Iowa, Loyola, Chicago, Arkansas, UNC, and Indiana. Now, look, obviously we're going to avoid Carolina. There's no way they're going to match us up with Carolina in a round of 32 game, but I'd really rather not get Michigan there. Michigan's a team that a lot of folks thought was a top 10 team coming in the season. They've struggled so far. And so I, I hated seeing Michigan on that, on that line, you know, in line to face us potentially in the next, that next game. I also really don't want BYU. BYU is always experienced and old. They have those guys that take a mission and then they come back to school. BYU's usually got a, a couple 23, 24, 25 year olds planned for them. Um, I want no part of that. And then the other thing I looked at was the four and five seeds that Duke would potentially match up with. Um, Lenardi has us getting either LSU or Xavier as our four fives. We could also get, and you're going to hear some familiar names here. The other four fives include Ohio State, Alabama, Kentucky, Providence, Auburn, Iowa, lots of SEC teams in there on that four or five line. Um, personally, I would love for Duke to potentially get a rematch with Ohio State. Um, that's a real possibility, you know, sort of where the teams are seated right now. Um, I think that, uh, you know, usually the opposing team sort of has a little more motivation against Duke because we have this big name and we're this big time program. If we play Ohio State this year, I think we will have plenty of motivation. <laughs> 
And um, I just like to say right off the bat, immediately, I want no part of Alabama. I do not want Duke to play Alabama. Alabama is a team that shoots a million three pointers, like more threes than anyone else in the N- in NCAA. And if they get hot one game, you're out. There's nothing you can do about it. If they're bombing away from three and they're hitting them, doesn't matter how good you are, they can take you out. So I'd really rather not see Alabama and take the risk that they are having a good day from outside. Anyway, that was sort of the interesting stuff I saw in the bracket. Last thing, did you guys see who one of the number 11 seeds was? We mentioned, Donald, you said there are 10 big 10 teams in the dance. One of them coming in as number 11 seed, Chris Collins' Northwestern squad. Lenardi said if the tournament was today, Chris Collins would have Northwestern back in the dance. I should point out then the entire history of Northwestern basketball from the beginning till the, till right now, Northwestern has made the tournament once 2017, Chris Collins got them there in 2017. If he does it again, they should rename the arena for him. <laughs> rename the arena. I mean, they should rename the university Collins university in Chicago. There you go. Sounds like a great, great one to me. It's Evans not even Illinois, in the Northwest anymore. Like it may have been in the, it may have been part of the Northwest once upon a time, but it's, it's like, it's, it's right for change now. So, Midwestern Collins University, I think sounds really yeah, good. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 look, I, I don't find any of this surprising, but what stuck out to me just again is how not, I wouldn't even call it mediocre the ACC is this year. And Duke being a, a number one seed, the only other ACC teams in this bracket, UNC at an eight, Virginia Tech at a 10 in Duke's region, interestingly. Uh, and Wake Forest as one of the 11 seeds that would have to play one of those play-in games to get to the main field. So a one, an eight, a 10, and 11. Uh, I have not done the, the, di- the deep dive on, on how long ago it has been since the ACC only had four teams and, and only one uh, in the projected should make the, uh, among the group that, that should make it to the second weekend. But this would be, this would be a historically uh, bad draw for the ACC. Um, uh, the ACC's not- never had, the ACC, I believe, has never had four teams since we expanded, you know, since we added those big, like Syracuse and, and, and those Big East schools. There was a time in the 90s, I feel like the ACC only got three teams one year. But that was when I think we only had like nine or 10 teams in the conference at that point. We only had nine teams, but we also, back then, there were routinely years where the ACC would get seven out of nine. Yeah, in yeah. The NCAA tournament. Like, I think they still have the record for like percentage of teams that make the dance because seven out of nine was like a, almost near certainty. It, it, it absolute certainty was like six out of nine. Also, hits home that all the other teams in the conference basically have to be rooting for Duke continually, other than the days when those teams are playing Duke because Duke is the is the key to everybody getting one really really good win on their resume the rest of the season. So, and, and I know how much other ACC teams hate rooting for us. So uh, I will, I will relish that for just the little bit that it's worth. I do wish that Duke had more opportunities on its schedule to get good wins, but that's where we're at right now. So even that, that Clemson team that, that we had talked about uh, earlier this week, that Duke was supposed to be playing this week, who we said, look, is, is probably a bubble team. They're not in, in Lunardi's bracket right now. They could make it back in, but they don't have many opportunities, especially if they don't get a shot against Duke this season. Quick question for you, talking about the ACC related to another Power 5 conference, the Pac-12. The Pac-12, under Lenardi's bracket, has three teams three. in the dance. Yeah, USC, UCLA, and Arizona. Two twos and a three. Would you rather have that for the ACC or have four teams spread out throughout the, uh, 
throughout the 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 seating at least. I feel it seems it seems like having more teams spread out means that there's more opportunities for teams to rise. For the Pac-12, it feels like even though they have three teams on the top three lines, they all the only thing they can do really is fall. Like they they can't. It, the, the rising tide is already at the top. It's not lifting any ships. Whereas some of these teams, if Virginia Tech gets hot, if UNC gets hot, then they can lift up some of the teams like Clemson uh, or Syracuse or something like that into the dance. Yeah, I, I'll I'll tell you that I'd rather be the Pac-12. I'd rather have three teams that that are all expected to win, not just one game, but, but probably two games, um, as opposed to being the ACC where Duke is the only team they will be favored to win even one game, perhaps Carolina is an eight seed, you know, eight, nine, but the rest of the ACC is expected to be out before the tournament, you know, even reaches its first weekend. So as we mentioned, we will be back later this week to preview the Notre Dame game. Hopefully we're doing just a a standard preview and not issuing another uh, conversation, I guess, about the fact that Duke had another game canceled. So we will, we'll cross our fingers that, uh, Duke and Notre Dame do get to play on Saturday. And I think earlier I had said that Duke was hosting the game against Notre Dame. They're actually supposed to be playing in South Bend. So uh, my apologies for getting that one wrong. In addition, later this week, we would like to do a mailbag episode. So we didn't specifically ask about this previously. And so maybe folks are holding back questions. But if you have general questions about this year's team, prior Duke teams, anything related to Duke basketball or, or sort of the, the set of topics that we typically cover on the show, feel free to email us this week, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We would like to empty the mailbag, so to speak. So if you have lingering questions, we think we've got time to, to spread out on the show uh, this week. So happy to dive into those. Hey, hey, actually, I'd even say if folks want to ask us something else, you know, we, we, we'll do some research. We'll look into some things. You want to ask us something weird that's not necessarily related to Duke basketball? I can't promise that we'll answer it. <laughs> but Yeah, don't go too weird. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. on, a, on the weird scale, one to ten, we're thinking like three to four. Don't go me, nine or ten. Give me, give me one or two topics that you all would like to answer questions about. Uh, Jason, you go first. I mean, I haven't prepared for this at all. So, I mean, obviously, if, if folks want to ask me things about movies... I'm a little bit of a movie expert. Movies and movies and, and, and poker. Movies and poker. There you go. Those are two Donald, good topics. For uh, me. Donald's already got a soccer podcast, so don't ask him soccer questions. <laughs> Subscribe to Stars and Stripes FC, right? <laughs> Where I will be doing a mailbag episode later on today. Uh, so I'll, I will answer those questions over there. Music. Nice, nice year for music. I can, I can answer a couple of music questions. Donald, Donald can do music questions, and, and, yeah. I can, and, and I'll do all the music questions that Donald can't answer. So if you want, if you blue, want all the bluegrass, about, people have bluegrass. Yeah, if you want questions. to talk about uh, bluegrass, uh, folk music, uh, jam bands. Uh, I I'll cover all those, and uh, maybe we'll we'll get some of your questions answered. Uh, so anyway, email us once again dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We have gotten a lot of of great mail recently that I think we've responded to to all of. So uh, those conversations have been fun, but would like to bring them onto the show, so to say. So. For Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 373 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Your tasks this week, listener. One, email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Two, if you have not, go get boosted for uh, 
with, with your COVID-19 vaccine. We really appreciate you doing that. And if you've done both of those things, then make sure you're subscribed, rating, reviewing, all those things with the show. We'll talk to you again later this week. Until then, Duke Band, take us home.